When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. No city center backs. No problem. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always... I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that, there are also some off activities that caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. I'm going with my tried and tested two-up top this week, and once again, it's a full-strength side, which means first up and leading the line is Carl. Carl, how are things with you, my friend? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Dan. Um, and looking forward to getting into this one because I think this is going to be an action-packed um, and quite a divisive uh, view on a few things football this weekend. Yes, it is, Carl. You've got that one right. So before you unleash and all things VAR, also joining us from across the pond is Drew. And I'm delighted to announce he joins us once more. So, Drew, it's always a pleasure to have you on board. I hope all is well with you, my friend. Yeah, everything's doing good. Thank you for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. And I like your intro. The uh, tried and, and uh, tested two up front. I like being a second striker myself, so perfect uh, description for me. There you go, yes. I think the combination up front is working well, so let's uh, stick with it. Okay, before we sort of chat all things football, i best do the social media bits first. If you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTrace1983. Of course, you can also get me at RealFootballPods. So any sort of questions, comments, send them my way to either or. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe and also leave a review and all that. And if you don't like Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. What is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing, one which is free to enter. And the prize pool once again stands at... £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account because the odds of winning are great, but even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Before we go all things VAR, I think there's only one place we can go, and that is the Etihad. So, Carl, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about watching teams roll over opposition and whether we enjoyed it. We couldn't have had a more perfect example of that on Saturday, could we? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, as I said to you in the week, I think, Dan, you know, Man City seem to be on a crusade to kind of destroy Watford single-handedly, don't they, at the moment? Um, and it's kind of like, we'll kill them, we'll kill them again. And you kind of almost, there's that gift, isn't there, from the Simpsons, where, the, you know, they're standing there saying, please stop, he's dead already. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that kind of is quite apt at the moment for Watford when it comes to it, because that really was a mullering of all mullerings, wasn't it? And, you know, you... Watford's start hasn't been the greatest and to kind of be on the end of a thumping like that um, I think that kind of should start ringing some alarm bells if you're a Watford supporter because you know that's a team as well that supposedly should be on a new manager bounce after having picked up what was a good result against Arsenal uh, coming from 2-0 down so to kind of be brushed aside so easily in the manner they were and how quickly they were um, I think that's real worrying signs there for Watford at the moment. Because, Drew, we also mentioned a couple of weeks ago that really we should be celebrating great players doing great things. At the same time, no matter how great those players are, no Premier League team should be losing to another by eight goals, should they? No, absolutely not. I mean, this was an utter embarrassment for Watford. And quite frankly, they should just get relegated right now. Oh, wow. that, should, that should be their punishment for getting beat. 8-0. I mean, it, there was nothing that they did. I mean, after was it five goals in the first 20 minutes, you got to do something. Whether it's the manager yelling at you, all right, guys, 10 behind the ball, let's let's stop this now, or the players figuring it out, figuring it out themselves, you have to be able to read that situation that Manchester City was not going to let up. And for Watford, this is a terrible sign. The new manager bounce, like Carl said, is not working. And based on this game, it looks as if it's not going to work, which has really been their saving grace for the past few seasons. I mean, Carl, we referenced last week that City were going to have defensive issues. And annoyingly, an hour later after we recorded it, John Stones was injured. So it was already out of date. But, you know, the issues even got worse. However, on Saturday, they just thought, you know what? We're going to just attack our way out of trouble. Now, is this the style of all-out attack that they could utilise every week? Or is this the fact that they almost seem to just really dislike Watford and just smash them? So what do you put that down to? I think, as we, we discussed, haven't we? I think in the Premier League, most weeks, they will be able to get away with that kind of cavalier attitude of we'll just outscore who we're playing because they've kind of got that ability about them. Um, obviously, when they come up against maybe, say, the top, three or four teams that you know they could get there could be trouble there with their defensive way because those teams have players that hurt you but by looks of it if City and certainly De Bruyne are going to play in that sort of fashion then um, I think they could just take that view of or just outscore you and hope that that kind of you know you know sets the tone and we get away with it um, I think, like as we say, when you look at Watford, one of the things that I think really as well would have worried me is that when you consider that's the new manager's second game and he kind of was just sitting on the bench with that, you know, sort of air of desperate, not desperation, but that air of, oh, well, here we go. This, this is what's happening. You know, you would have liked to have seen a new manager should be up doing something, trying to change what's going on in the game, given that it was just his second game back. Um, but he was kind of just sitting there accepting what was happening. You've got, you know, Ben Foster in the interview afterwards, kind of like smiling and like, yeah, well, you know, I thought it could be a cricket score after they scored one in the first minute. Um, and that's not really the attitude you'd want to see from especially one of your longer serving players and the manager who supposedly there knew trying to set the tone. 
I'm glad you mentioned Ben Foster because that's going to be my next point to Drew. Drew, I don't know if you would have heard these comments. They were shown on Match of the Day, but basically Ben Foster was intimating that, as Drew, uh, as Carl said, sorry, that, oh, well, we just were hoping not to get smashed. They got smashed. Now, surely, with a mentality like that, you've lost the game before you've even set out on the pitch. Yeah, you know, I, I did see what he said because of, you know, YouTube and everything, thankfully. But I've never seen someone so excited after a full-on assault and battery, which is what Manchester City well, did was, to yeah, watch. it was. It really was. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, if, if, if those weren't two teams and those were instead people, Manchester City would be in jail for premeditated assault and battery for the next 50 years. I mean, that's how bad it was. I mean... To a certain degree, what's he going to say? Like, when you get beat that bad, I mean, I, I know most players are pretty robotic in their answers. Oh, you know, we tried hard. We wanted to do more. But it's something like that. I mean, really, to a certain degree, there's really nothing you can do other than, I guess, kind of laugh it off as he did. Because no matter what he says, obviously, they're very upset with the way it happened. But there's really nothing they could do. I mean... When you get beat 8-0, no matter what you did, it didn't work. So there's no, there's nothing to break down. There's nothing for you to analyze the next day and say, hey, guys, I think we could have done this better. Yeah, no kidding. You could have done everything better. So I'm not really going to chastise him for, for being a little too giddy after the match because I think it, it, it's almost like one of those emotions where you know you almost get in a car crash and you start laughing out of like nervousness. Or, or something like that. I think it was it kind of came more from uh, that angle. Yeah, I think that's a fair point in the way sort of Ben Foster, like, what else can you do? Because if you got drubbed like 4-0, you'd be sort of saying, oh, we were never in the game. Like I say, sort of robotic going through the motions. But 8-0, it's just, it is ludicrous, really. And I think it's it's not the reaction you really want to see, but you can almost understand at the same time as well. Carl, in terms of Watford, I know Alan Shearer mentioned on the show about um, refunding fans. Surely the Watford owners have got to put their hands in their pockets and say to any fan who went to the Etihad, you get the next one for free and away chip because that was just diabolical. Yeah, I think that's always a nice touch, isn't it? You know, if, if you as a fan, you know, uh, to be honest, I think if I was the captain and, you know, if you know the sort of person that Troy Deeney is, I think he is quite often ready to do something like this. You would just go around that whole squad and say, right, listen, lads, unfortunately, you've all got a chip in however much because, Anyone who went to that game, we're covering their costs and we're going to make sure that, you know, they're not out of pocket to come along to have watched us kind of, you know, die the way we did that day. Um, and, and then possibly, you know, I know Watford, I think, have done it before where they've sent some shit. They've, you know, they've given each fan a, a shirt as a kind of thank you as well. So, you know, that's the sort of thing you would like to see because then it would kind of show the players have got that kind of humility side about them and that they're prepared to kind of be grateful and, and say, sorry to those fans who took that long journey and Drew we've just sort of said that the new manager bounce has already sort of just dissipated it's not a thing anymore Watford yet to win this season in the league they go to Wolves who also yet to win the the league this season it's a bottom of the table clash this weekend it's huge really isn't it yeah in terms of the relegation battle it definitely is and for Watford unfortunately they're going to be on the road which is going to make it even tougher for them I honestly don't see this getting any better for the Hornets anytime soon. New manager bounce or not. Well, you know, that's the thing is over the past few years, they've almost relied on that as if that's going to somehow keep them up in the Premier League or somehow 
launch them into a, a bid for for mid table or something. But this year, I think it's almost like they've pulled the trigger too early. And, of course, against the wrong opponents with Manchester City uh, on the docket for Sanchez-Flores so early. But I think it doesn't get any better for them. The new manager bounce doesn't work. And against Wolves, I, I, I fancy Wolves to get their first win of the year. Well, exactly. When you're going into a game like Wolves, pressure's mounting already. You've already just dropped eight the week before. I think you're right in the sense that Watford, they have been having this revolving door at Vicarage Road. And, yes, it has worked because they've not been relegated since getting promoted back in uh, 2015, 2016, I believe. So it is working, but you do wonder how many times you can go to the well with those same results, and you, you do worry for Watford. And I don't think anyone really had them as a, a bottom three club this season, but from the start they've had and the end of the season, where at one point they were sort of touching on the Europa League door, they got smashed in the cup final. It's just been an absolute nightmare since. So it's, it's worrying times at Vicarage Road, but we'll have to sort of see how that pans out over the next few weeks and months, and I'm sure we'll sort of discuss it in more detail. Right, before we sort of go through... The other matches, it's time to talk VAR, and I think we're going to talk about VAR for quite a bit. So, if we don't get through all the other matches towards the sort of tail end, I do apologise, but I think, you know, there are some sort of games that we could probably put to one side for this week that aren't really worthy of so much attention. So, ah, yes, I think it's a starting point, but all three of us have been affected by a VAR decision this weekend. Obviously, me and Cole, Tottenham fans, Drew, Chelsea fan. I'll try and play a sort of neutral role for the benefit of this next segment. But each of you, you get a couple of minutes to lament about your VAR decision first. So, Cole, if you want to go up and um, just moan about Human Song getting ruled out, the floor is yours. And, Drew, you get an opportunity for Mason Mount in a minute. So, Cole, over to you. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Dan, you know, we've spoke about this lots of times, haven't we? And we've kind of been in favour of VAR before and can kind of see that it, it does have a place in football, you know, and there are situations where we want that technology i think though when we're getting to the point where basically the technology is being used just to decide that because a bloke had a size you know eight boot on against a defender he's wearing a size six football boot and that means he's offside then i think that's where suddenly people are starting to fall out of love with VAR and the way it's being implemented in the game. Um, you know, we can look at both offside decisions this weekend and kind of go, the reality is those offsides, uh, those players are pretty much, in my opinion, level. Um, and that's not what I think supporters wanted VAR brought in for, for those decisions. And I think the view now is that if that's how it's going to be implemented, then I think we're going to fall out of love pretty quickly with it over the course of this season and then you know it kind of you kind of lose that interest in bringing it into the game we want to see VAR used for kind of clear and obvious decisions where a team are literally being kind of you know undone unfairly by you know a goal that was you know the guy is two yards offside or a penalty is given and you can see from a clear replay that he hasn't been touched by the defender you know or you know as it should have been at you know the Emirates a handball is given when, you know, a referee hasn't spotted something. Those are what we want to see VAR used for. The way it's being implemented at the moment is starting to make people fall out of love with football very quickly. And I think, you know, who the governing bodies will need to look at this kind of thing very quickly because it's becoming a farce. The way it's being implemented is a farce. And I've said to you on numerous occasions, haven't I, Dan, that for me, the guy behind the camera needs to be as accountable as the referee on the pitch. 
So whatever, whoever has looked at the incident, say at the Emirates this weekend with the handball situation and hasn't given a penalty there based on what he's seen, there needs to be an explanation and a reason as to, well, you need to explain what you've seen here that proves that isn't a handball because that is as clear a handball as you are likely to get in the league this season. Um, And it might be that do we need to retrain these guys? Do we need to demote them like we would if it was a referee? I think we've also got incidents that it's turned out that one of the guys doing the um, VAR reviews isn't a top 18 Premier League referee. So does he feel comfortable overriding a top official in, you know, in the league? Because does he feel empowered to kind of say, I'm very sorry, but you've got one wrong here. You need to go and look at it. Um, and there's there's lots of issues in the way it's being implemented right now that are kind of killing it. And I think even me and you, Dan, who we've been big fans of it, we enjoyed the way it was done at the World Cup. We are now starting to say, actually, I'm starting to go off of this very quickly because it's not just because it's affecting our teams, but there are decisions that are being made that are just you scratching your head thinking, I don't understand what's going on. This weekend as well, we've had the offside goals. We've also seen a player sent off for what was winning a tackle. Now, even winning a tackle is a bookable offence. And we've seen two two players stamp on another player and not get reviewed by VAR at all. So it's becoming really murky. And um, the, the way this is going, I think everyone will be sick of it by the end of the season. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's the way it's going. Like you've just said, we were sort of big exponents of it in the World Cup. And we were sort of thinking, brilliant, if it's like this then more power to the refs and it's going to make the game even better. It's making the game worse, really, isn't it? So, Drew, feel free to lament as well because obviously you were um, harshly sort of ruled out a goal when uh, Mason Mount's foot was offside. Obviously, there was a lot more play thereafter, but, I mean, what can you take from VAR this weekend and and in the first six weeks? Yeah, well, I agree with a lot of what Carl said about, uh, you know, fans becoming upset, fans kind of, changing their opinion or maybe turning on VAR a little bit. And, and I completely understand. I mean, I, it sounds like I'm getting on my soapbox, but I, I've, been di- I've been opposed to VAR since the beginning just because I find it diametrically opposed to the game of football. Um, but kind of like Carl said, I, I'm not going to lament about it simply because it affected my team. And, and like you mentioned, I'm a Chelsea supporter and, and Mason Mount was – a judge to be, you know, half a half a foot offside, uh, and it took away a goal uh, in the Chelsea game. But I think the biggest thing with with VAR right now is it's very inconsistent, right? It's there to, as so many people point to, get the call right, but it seems as if so many calls go either unnoticed, unchecked, or like Carl talked about you know, members of the officials, you know, brethren and brotherhood don't want to kind of point out the mistake of the other, or don't want to throw anyone under the bus. But that's kind of the point of this system, especially as so many people have pointed to, it's supposed to get the call right. Well, if that's the case, then you need to out one of your brothers, one of your match official brothers and say, you got this wrong and overwrite him. And especially what, what I think is is crucial here is the official can go look at the monitor 
and then make the decision himself. He does. He's not automatically overridden by the VAR official. So to me, I don't see a big problem with him saying, hey, go look at this again. He's not saying, no, you're clearly wrong. You made a mistake. You're a moron. And now I want to embarrass you. It's simply saying, go check this again. I know it's, you know, full speed. It's quick. Everyone's moving uh, at 100 miles an hour or kilometers an hour, I guess I should have said. Um, you know, go go check it again. I don't think there's any shame in that. But it seems as if that's what is happening, or at least that's part of the decision-making process. And so I think all of this inconsistency and lack of clarity on a lot of issues is what's really upsetting fans and, and turning them off. And especially, uh, you know, in the Premier League, they won't show the replays in the stadium before the decision is made. And I think that keeps a lot of people in the dark. You know, all the fans, they can take a guess you know they're watching obviously at at what they're checking but they can't really see for themselves until after and so i think that kind of adds to the consternation uh in terms of of the specific incident with chelsea i mean yeah it, it's the letter of the law mason mount was was offside but i've been saying this and th- this actually goes back to spurs and manchester city um in the champions league last season i want to see a change to the offside one of many changes to the offside rule but in terms of this one if you look mason mount when they rule him to be in an offside position he's not even facing goal he's facing his own goal like what you know watching and waiting for for a pass to come to him and by the time he receives the ball he's in an onside position now again i know that's not the way the rule is written now but to me if you're not facing goal then you don't have any advantage. So I, I think coupled with VAR now, we have to see some changes in the offside laws. And, and I think there are several changes. One, like I mentioned, if you're in an offside position, but if you're going to move back onside by the time you receive the ball away from goal, to me, you have not gained an advantage. Um, and, and I think that's just one of many law changes that need to come to offside because of this, you know, technology of spotting minute different or minute infractions that that no one with you know with the naked eye could could really spot. And and again, I think this just adds to the consternation and and the the amount of of anger that people have towards VAR. Whether it should be towards VAR, whether you can say they should point their anger at you know IFAB or or the laws of the game, whatever it happens to be. But of course, since VAR is the new kid on the block, that's who everyone's going to get upset at. Because, Carl, when you take the Mason Mount goal or, you know, the goal that was ruled out, I know it wasn't, he didn't score, but that infraction, at what point does the referee or the man in the control tower say that's the same phase as what happened? Because there was so much more play thereafter. He's pinging about the box. Like, as Drew sort of says, he's going away from goal. Now, yes, under the, the letter of the law, as we understand it today, that he's offside. But surely there has to be some sort of common sense. Because otherwise we're going to see so many more what you would consider last season legitimate goals ruled out. We're going to just see less of an entertaining product in general, aren't we? 
Well, as you say, Dan, I think the interesting bit is what is the phase of play? Exactly. What, what, what ends one phase of play and starts the next phase of play? You know, how many seconds or minutes do you wait that you actually go, well, actually, no, let's roll it back a few more because I think there was an incident, you know, a little bit further up in the pitch by the corner flag um, that I want to look at. And, you know, yes, the game the, the game has gone the whole length of the pitch now, but actually I think there was a problem up there. Um, it, it, it's just I think the whole law is just confusing for everybody. Um, and it probably needs to be simplified. Um, you know, I know it was probably never a law, but I think, you know, the whole thing of daylight, there, you know, there needs to be some form of clear and obvious for offside. I mean, if you looked at the Son one and the Mount one at the weekend, you know, in theory, th- th- those guys are actually what I would call level. You know, for me, they are level with the defender, which should be onside. You know, there's no real advantage there. They were level with the defenders for me. Um, You know, we have the confusion then, don't we, that when the dotted line's being drawn down, the the red dotted line isn't in line with the red line. The blue line is over the red line. And, you know, the camera angle, you're looking at it from this way. We realize as well that you can't actually pinpoint the the millisecond that the ball leaves the foot compared to where the strikers move to. There's so much confusion around how you implement this that I think it's going to need to be reworked. It's going to be need to be looked at. As you say, phases of play are going to need to be very clear on what this is because at the moment, I, I think, you know, we're, we're starting to stretch what we want to bring this and use this in for. You know, there, I say there is a use for it. And like Drew said, I don't think we should be ashamed to say to a referee, the game is moving at such a pace now, we can understand if you don't see something. But go and just look at this again, because like in the Villa game and the Arsenal game, I've no problem with the fact the referee may not have seen the ball hit his hand, or he might think it hasn't and it's hit his shoulder, but someone else is there that has the ability to look and go, hmm, you might just want to go and look at the monitor for this one, because I think... There was a handball there that you may not have seen. Those are the incidents we want looked at. Those only. We don't want the game to be ruled where everything is being reviewed. And like as Drew said, I think one of the things that kind of starts to annoy everybody is when something's not clear. We want, we start needing to now know what is being reviewed, what they're looking at, because if you're in the grounds, you don't really have a clue what's happening other than the, the monitor or what you think may have happened. Um, and I think it just needs to be clear and, you know, transparent. OK, we're checking a handball, what we think may have been a possible handball in the build up to this goal. And then everyone, if you know, whether you like it or not, but at least if you're clear about what's happening, you can maybe take it on the chin a little bit easier. But right now, I think if we carry on the way we're going with this this season, the majority of people will just want it scrapped. And to be honest, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because there is use in what this can be done for and it can come in and be a benefit. But right now we'll end up having to scrap it because it's just being implemented so badly. Yeah, I mean, it's a very good point. It raises something else, actually, that I've just thought of and something we'll get to in a little bit more detail in a minute. But you raised the point about um, fans not knowing what's going on in terms of VAR. As a season ticket holder of a football club, you know, I spend a fair bit of money to go and watch my club each week or when I can. It almost makes you think, am I getting a secondary product to someone sitting at home? Because I'm thinking, if I'm watching these matches, yes, I'm in person and you can't really put too much of a value on that but if I'm watching it and I haven't really got a clue what's going on compared to the man sitting in his armchair why am I forking out that huge sum of money to go and watch my team do you know what I mean 
Yeah, I'd agree, Dan. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, I've sat where you sit. So I, I know the effort and workout you have to put in. Well, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so believe me, I, I'm like you. Yes, you in the stadium should be as well informed as someone at home. And, and for me, we need to mic these officials up. I really don't understand why we should be hiding the fact of doing this. You know, if nothing untoward is being done, then as an official, you should have no problem with being mic'd up and when these VAR incidents are being reviewed everyone can hear I think there's a handball can you just check that in the build up for me or I think X player was offside when he received the ball and then everyone's clear and I, and I think again if there's clarity people can accept something even if it goes against them and Drew also does there need to be more of a global threshold in terms of how this is implemented because my belief is that the Premier League is different to its operation in the Champions League. And then you've got MLS, which I believe is also sort of different to those entities as well. So someone like yourself is probably going to watch all three competitions and you've got three different levels of VAR and how it's going to be implemented. Like You must be thinking, what on earth am I watching at what time and what is going on? I actually don't feel that way. Okay. And, and the reason is, yeah, well, this is why. I think that's something that's very unique about football is because it is a global sport, right? Because here in the States... You know, most of the sports here are pretty much dominated in the U.S. and like outside of the U.S., it's, it's not so popular. But something that's really unique about football is every country kind of does have their own flavor. They have their own culture about it. And so I actually don't have a problem with VAR being used differently depending on the competition or the, the country or the confederation. With that being said, though, and, and like I talked about, like, like Carl just mentioned – you have to be very clear with how you're going to use it, and you also have to be consistent. And that's where I think the Premier League has struggled, right? Because in the Champions League, we saw this was with uh, Chelsea and Valencia. Uh, the call went to VAR, and the, the the official went over to check the monitor. And I don't think really that many people complained because – in the Champions League, they've been very, very consistent with what's a handball, what's not, what they're going to check. And I think people, whether they agree with it or not, they've come to realize, okay, that's how it's going to work. Where in the Premier League, we don't have that. It has been very erratic. It has been you know, very um, touch and go. Are we going to call this one or are they going to take a look at this one? I think they should. I think they shouldn't. Well, last week they did. This week they don't. So there's no consistency there. Um, so again – I don't have a problem with, with every country doing it a little bit differently. I do understand, though, where someone would say that's wrong because laws of the game are the laws of the game. And so they should be, you know, kind of enforced equally throughout. So I do understand that argument. But for me, for again, me personally, I don't have a problem with each country having kind of their own spin or their own flavor to it. Excellent. Right. That's the first half out of the way. I think that might be the last of the VAR talk. Actually, there might be a couple little bits of points on the second half, but don't go anywhere. I hope that hasn't put you off because we'll be back on the other side. Your accumulator letting you down again. You've cashed out early and you just can't win. Prehistoric football coupons? Nah. Have a think about it. Why not play a new way? At Loserpool. Pick a loser and win a thousand pounds in a last man standing tournament. Be a loser and win 
at Loserpool. Enter for free now. Visit loserpool.com. Okay, welcome back. I hope you're still there because we've got another half an hour or so to run through. So, Cole, Spurs result aside, which we'll get to in a minute, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot on Twitter of the I've had enough brigade. They really seem to be out in force at the moment, which could be understandable because you've got issues with VAR in general. You know, the goal being disallowed, that's going to piss you off somewhat. Uh, Transfers, an indifferent start. The extra money required from a fan's point of view for Champions League matches, a lot of it as well. You know, are these fair criticisms from your point of view? Or are we being perhaps... Um, have you been treated to too much over the last couple of years? Has the Champions League finally inflated our sense of worth? What would you put all that down to? Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? I mean, obviously, I think that the mixed start has, has, has kind of unsettled everyone, isn't it? And, and I think the, the kind of... Um, what looks like the clear, obvious unrest within the whole squad at the moment, you know, from the top to the bottom, I think has kind of got everyone a little bit of an uneasy feeling because it's clear to see that there are obviously issues behind the scenes at the moment that we may never get to know what's going on. But it does seem very clear that there are problems within that squad right now um, and, uh, you know, this could be a season of kind of hit and miss, you know, one week brilliant, the next week not so good. Um, I think if you're Spurs fans, obviously there's been frustration built up over the years, isn't there, with the lack of transfers or the lack of what people think are the right transfers coming in that could have pushed the club even further forward than we could be now. Um, I think there's a lot of frustration with possibly some of um, Pochettino's decisions at certain times during games and seasons around making some what has just bewildering substitutions or team selections and also he's kind of dismissive nature towards cup competitions um, which you kind of do feel that well when you're we're a team that haven't won anything you should just be wanting to get that first one on the board even if it's just purely a league cup you know get it on the board and then build from there whereas he kind of has been quite dismissive towards those trophies um, and it's a bit like well actually when you've got nothing you can't kind of be too snobby um, you should just be happy with something um, so I just think it's been an uneasy season there's a lot of unrest at the moment as you say the club are not helping themselves when they then you know people are playing the most expensive season tickets in the country and then you then get asked to shell out 80, 80 plus pounds to go and watch a Champions League game um, that is always going to cause problems um, because quite rightly that is an extortionate amount of money to go and play or watch a game of football um, so I think there's, there's lots of issues that are built up um, but I think the big biggest thing that should worry us is that there does look to be that squad unharmony and you know my worry is is that I think we may have reached a point where Pochettino and his staff have become a little bit fed up and tired of the project as we call it and maybe some of the key players are actually now starting to look and think "Mm, actually do I want to be part of this project anymore because I can actually go and walk into a side that has already kind of got a finished project and they're winning things and I maybe it's about time I go and do that now rather than stick here Uh, and that I kind of think is the overriding thing that's worrying everybody Um, as far as Pochettino goes you know for me anyone who's calling for him to be sacked right now um, that is crazy talk in my opinion you know we have to remember that this guy could have walked away from us on a number of occasions and left us in the lurch Um, and he's given us some of our best times recently so 
we it'd be wrong to say that the first time he hits a sticky patch, we all want to get on his back and tell him to leave. Um, but he will have to stop doing silly things like he did on Saturday by bringing someone like Wanyama off the bench because. You know, it was clear the guy was finished last season as a Spurs player. He shouldn't even be getting anywhere near the match day score this season. And he certainly shouldn't have been coming on in that game ahead of the likes of um, Eric Dyer. Um, so there are decisions like that that he's not helping himself with. But you know, I think we just maybe just need to be calm and just see what happens over the next few games. But a couple more defeats in there and some bad performances. And I think the pressure is just going to build even more. Drew, from an outsider's point of view, what's your take on Tottenham? If you could give them an assessment over the first six weeks or so, are Spurs fans right to be whinging at the moment? It definitely hasn't been good, that's for sure. I think you actually mentioned it uh, when you asked Carl about it. I think a little bit Spurs are a victim of their own success. And you know, if you look at Leicester a couple of years ago after they won the Premier League title, and then, you know, went on in Champions League to get to the quarterfinals, right? I think it made their expectations a little bit too high. And that's where we saw the sacking of, I, I, was it Shakespeare who had taken over after being the interim? And then uh, Claude Puel, and, and then now they're doing well under Rodgers. Um, but I think their fans started to expect a little bit too much. And I think with Spurs, we're seeing that now a little bit because, and, and I think you guys can objectively agree that Spurs last year were not really the second best team on the continent, but they still got to the Champions League final, which is a great accomplishment, of course. And, you know, every year under Pochettino, they've gotten better and better, and they've cemented themselves as one of the four best in England. But I don't think you can, you know, justifiably say that they certainly were the second best team on the continent. But since they got there, I think a lot of fans think, like you said, they have a little bit of, of overinflated expectations. Now, certainly Spurs should not be blowing two goal leads three games in a row, right? Whether you're traveling to Greece, whether you're playing a, a, a rival at uh, at the Emirates, sure, you shouldn't be, be dropping two goal leads. But again, I, I think people are kind of expecting them to be a little bit better than what they are. And so for Spurs, I think they have a big decision to make is are they going to stick with Pochettino and sell some of those key players, whether that's, you know, Harry Kane or, you know, throw Son and Erickson, whoever you want to throw in there, or are they going to stick with the players and swap out the manager? And I think that's the decision they have to make. It doesn't have to be both, nor do I think it should be. But unfortunately, I think after this season, one or the other has to go. I thought it was going to be this past summer, especially when you saw Poch's comments during the Champions League about, you know, oh, if we win the final, I, I leave and go home. I thought it was going to happen this summer, um, but it didn't. And I think they've kind of held on just a bit too long. And, you know, for whatever reason, it's not working out this season um, so far. And so I, I think that's the big thing to be watching is, is who goes, Pochettino or, or the players, because one of them will have to. Because, Carl, when you look at Pochettino's reign in terms of length, he's been at the club since 2014. So, you know, if he gets to the end of the season, that's six full campaigns. Now, in this day and age, we're not going to get a Ferguson. We're not even going to get a Wenger, I don't think. So, is six years almost like, you know, as long as you can get in this day and age? And as Drew says, if he doesn't go, then surely it's going to be not just like an evolution at the club. It will be revolution in the summer with a whole host of player departures. 
Yeah, well, I think it, it's that thing, isn't it? As Fergie said, you know, he knew the United side reached points where it then had to be a, a, you know, an overhaul um, where you maybe only keep one or two key players, but then you kind of start refreshing the whole squad. I, I personally think, I, I believe this will be the last season we see Potocino as the Spurs manager. I just think there's that air right now where he doesn't look a happy man. Um, just, you know, I say the squad, some of the squad are not happy. Obviously, we know people like Ericsson don't want to be there. Although, you know, if you don't want to be there and you want to be aiming higher, then the kind of performances that you put in in a Champions League game um, need to be of a lot higher quality than what he was producing the other night because that certainly was a performance where if I'm looking to buy a, a certain midfield playmaker and I look at that performance, I'm thinking, you ain't for me, son. Certainly not with that kind of attitude. Um, but I just think, I don't think we'll see Pochettino as the Spurs manager and that will either happen before the end of this season or it will get to the end of the season and then I think he'll go. Um, I put it out there a little while ago. I can see a situation happening where um, Zidane gets the boot from Madrid and I then see Pochettino taking that job. And, you know, I don't think it went down too well, but I see Jose being brought in to replace Pochettino at Spurs. Um, and, and I probably think that could happen before the end of this season. Do you know what? I mean, yeah, you're right. It's not going to be incredibly popular, but it might just be the thing that Tottenham need. Because, it, yes, it's very well um, competing and being on the fringes of success, but Mourinho is a man who has um, you know, won a lot. And some will argue, rightly so perhaps, that he's a busted flush after a dodgy stint at Man United. But, Drew, could you see that happening? Could you see Mourinho being the man to finally um, take Tottenham and put the rocket on them and smash through that glass ceiling? I'm going to let my bias take over here. I really hope not. I really don't want to see Mourinho go to Spurs because uh, I agree with Carl. I I think, yeah, Man United was probably a a bad spell for him. And you could argue his, you know, his tactics are outdated and, and, you know, he's too pragmatic and all of those different things. But he's proven it time and time again that he can get it done. And he might just be the person that could kind of right the ship at Spurs. The problem is, I don't think he returns them necessarily to Champions League glory. I, not, well, uh, you know, close to it. I think he could definitely make them a top four side. He could keep them, you know, very, very rigid in terms of not uh, surrendering uh, equalizers and, and not uh, giving up leads. But I don't think he necessarily turns, at least, at least with this group of players, I don't think he really turns spurs into the same level as city or liverpool or on the continent in terms of getting to uh the champions league final again so he might be a good you know year or two manager as he's been at a lot of places but i don't really think he takes them to to the promised land and again my my personal bias i really don't want to see him go go to spurs i mean carl drew makes a good point in the sense that yes he's a good manager or great manager and whether he did come to Tottenham the work would still have to be done because I think now we're looking at the Premier League table we talk about the big six but really it's the huge two and the other 18 at the moment isn't it yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, with the, with the two that we've got fighting out for the title now, I don't see any one of the clubs below them being able to appoint anybody who comes in and suddenly gets them on their level because the 
all those sides below Liverpool and City need a lot of work to get there. Um, maybe the only thing that Mourinho brings with him um, is that winner's um, sort of mentality. Um, possibly somebody that the players, you know, there I've seen things where people are saying, well, well, why would players believe they can be winners when the manager isn't a winner and when he's putting a negative attitude out there towards the Cups that they're not important? Um, you need to bring someone in who, who from the very top states, this is my importance, this is what I want to achieve and we're going for it. You know, it's, it's, this, it might be the League Cup, but it's a trophy and when we get that one, we'll move on to the next one. Um, so I can see why people maybe feel Mourinho could come in and do a job. You know, he may bring that little bit more kind of, what do we call, dark hearts with him where it's we will see a game out when we win in 1-0 because Mourinho then just shuts up shop and says, oh, that's not do nothing stupid um, and he wouldn't put up with players who are possibly taking risks where they shouldn't be but for me I still think Poch is the man I'd like to see take us to some form of glory um, I just can't see it um, but then after that I, I wouldn't turn to Jose first of all from for me personally people like Allegri are out there that I'd prefer to see brought in um, who may be a kind of you know would say with the game a little bit more and how to be with the modern footballer but I think it's interesting times and, and I think there'll be a decision that gets made before the end of this season. Also, Drew, a look at the Premier League table at the moment and it shows that Tottenham are in 7th, Norwich in 16th. Two points separates them. Now, of course, you know, six games in, the more you play, the wider those gaps will be. But at present, is this showing how competitive the division is going to be this season? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're right. It's only it's only six matches into the year, but you are starting to see the table kind of take shape, right, with... Norwich, obviously they had their, their big win over uh, Manchester City. But other than that, it's not like they've done anything that impressive, right? Um, and you look if you look at the other side, not, not just Spurs, but, you know, take, take West Ham, I think, who has quietly snuck up towards the top of the table. They haven't lost since the first match of the year when they got smoked by Manchester City, right? And I think they've kept three clean sheets in a row in all competitions. Um, and so I think those are perfect examples of, like you said, how competitive the league is this year. And I, I find it very ironic that, you know, last season was the talk of the European Super League. And then after that, I feel it's like when we've had more competitive competitiveness throughout the leagues in Europe, not just the Premier League. But obviously this year in England, you do see Leicester's in the top four, right? For all of the yelling and screaming about Emery. Arsenal is still in the top four, surprisingly, um, right? So, so you know, that competitive balance is actually there. Now, do I think that all of these teams that are mid-table or higher, surprisingly, this early on in the year, will continue to be there come, you know, springtime? Probably not. I'm sure a couple of them will drop off and we'll, see, we'll start to see more of a traditional, you know, top six, top eight, and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, I, I think... Some of these teams, West Ham, Leicester, Bournemouth, I think they are going to be competing for some of those European spots more than than people uh, thought uh, when the season started. And stay with you, Drew. Obviously, Chelsea, they're now the sixth team that Liverpool have disposed of this season. It was in the balance to start with, but then a fantastic opening goal from Trent Alexander-Arnold tipped the game in Liverpool's favour. From there, there's not really much looking back from the Reds, was there? Yeah, not really. I mean, they had both goals within the opening uh, 30 minutes, I believe it was. And Chelsea, you know, they really got the life sucked out of them 
with that VAR decision that took a goal away. Now, that can't be an excuse. You have to move on and you have to keep going. Um, But I think that really kind of took all the life out of them. I will say, though, it did feel at the end that Liverpool was kind of hanging on to this lead a little bit. You saw the way their defense kind of started to sit back and not be so intense, and that's where you see N'Golo Conte, who is not known for his attacking prowess, no matter what people want to say about him playing under Sarri last year. You know, he just weaved his way through Liverpool single-handedly and took that goal beautifully. And and so Liverpool kind of, you know, lacked intensity at that point. And then towards the end, they really let up. Mason Mount had a chance. Um, I think it was Abraham or Batshuayi, I don't remember which one, uh, had a header that was just a little bit wide. Um, so Chelsea did kind of turn the heat up a little bit. But I think you could kind of tell, yeah, Liverpool was going to hang on. Of course, they were going to uh, win this game. And staying perfect, I mean, no one is is catching them right now. And I think this was an important win for them because usually they don't have to grind out wins. They don't have to put in you know workmanlike performances simply just because they're way better than everyone else. But I think this game was kind of good for them in showing that yeah they can play. They are they will have to play all 90 minutes, there are going to be games where they're going to have to kind of hang on to things at the end. And so I think this was important for them to do it away against, I know Chelsea aren't in the top six right now, but, you know, a big six club um, coming off of a loss in Champions League midweek where they were very disappointing. So I think this was a, a good step for Liverpool in their their march towards the uh, Premier League title. Because, Cole, in the first 15 minutes or so, I think Chelsea were out the blocks a bit quicker Tammy Abraham presented with a guilt edge chance, one that in his recent spell of form, you would have put your money on him slotting home, wouldn't you? So had that gone in, could have been a different game completely. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt Chelsea would be encouraged from that performance because, you know, I, I think really that game, you could easily have seen either Chelsea nicking it or they would feel like they should have at least got a point out of it because I felt it was a really good performance from them and they had plenty of chances to kind of, put Liverpool to the sword. Um, Liverpool, I don't think, played with their normal kind of intensity. It didn't really seem to be happening for Mane, Salah or Firmino. Um, and as you say, if, if Tammy Abraham tucks his chances away, then who knows how that game would have turned out. You know, it was a great goal from N'Golo Kante, you know, in Iniesta, Messi type run from him that you don't expect. And I actually think Liverpool were glad when that game ended because they were really on the ropes, I think. And uh, if that game had maybe gone on another five or so minutes then we could possibly have seen an equaliser but I'd have taken some heart from that if I was a Chelsea fan because I think that was kind of a good performance where you know you played one of the best sides in the league and you weren't blown away. And Drew as a Chelsea fan obviously you're a team which is in a group of clubs that are on eight points so you're 11th at the moment the table not really telling the full story so is there time for crisis at Stamford Bridge or are you happy with that first six offerings of the season so far? Well, I'm not happy with it, but I'm also not screaming crisis, the the sky is falling. You know, Chelsea's defense has been their weak point this entire season so far. They've let in late goals a few different times, which ended up uh, uh, dropping points. Now, this game, that that wasn't the reason, but their defensive issues were quite prevalent, right, On on the two goals. It was brilliantly worked, the first one, where Salah backheels it on the free kick just outside the box into a perfect angle for Trent Alexander-Arnold. But you see on there, 
Jorginho is, is a little bit slow, not taking the right angle to, to block the shot. Emerson ducks on the second one on the free kick uh, from near the corner flag coming into the box. Zonal marking or not, no one did their job. Marcus Alonso was very late to to pick up and track Firmino. And even that, where was Kepa? I mean, that ball was pretty much on the six-yard line. So you could see Kepa coming out and trying to, to punch it out, probably not catch it. Um, and, and so I think Chelsea have had a lot of defensive issues, and you kind of saw that in this game. Now, Carl is right in that Firmino, Salah, Mane weren't really at their best in, in this game, which is surprising, especially because Chelsea had two injuries, two defenders that had to come off in the first half. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not really saying that the sky is falling, especially because Chelsea have all of these different issues to work out, young guys, young manager, and all of that. They're not going to be battling relegation this year. Well, God forbid, I guess. So I'm I'm not too worried or anything. I think it is going to be a difficult year. It's going to be a year where they struggle a lot. They give up a lot of unnecessary goals, but they're going to be fine uh, in the long run. I mean, looking at that Premier League table, with it being so tight, you've only got to win two matches and you'll be touching third or what have you. A couple of defeats looks a bit iffy. I mean, you take Bournemouth and Everton as perfect examples. Bournemouth win two. You know, they were third at the start of Saturday. Obviously, they slipped a little bit and everything's looking all right for them. Everton, a team with these top six aspirations, they ain't going to get top six at all. I mean, they've been pretty bad the last couple of weeks. Back-to-back defeats, and they're looking in a really sort of tough position, and pressure's back on Marco Silva. So I think that competitive nature of the Premier League is going to create a lot of turbulence, and I think, you know, one week you'll be smiling, and then it only takes a couple of bad results, and it will turn your complexion completely. But I don't think Chelsea will necessarily be caught in that maelstrom each week. They should finally find a groove. I think once we get sort of outside the next international break, they should be... I think that sort of top six, top seven will start to finally calibrate us, as you said earlier, Drew, how we would imagine it to be. But, Cole, I think the final point, actually, because we're probably running out of time. Don't blame me, blame VAR. But I was doing the maths, and Liverpool, right, they've lost two of the last 52 league matches, which was Chelsea at the end of the 2017-2018 campaign, and they lost to City at the start of this year. So, whoever you support, that's an ominous run. Critics will point to say, well, yeah, but where's the Premier League trophy? But where they're playing... It might just be as early as May, mightn't it? Yeah, we, we said last year, Dan, didn't I, that even though Liverpool lost out on the title, you'd kind of come away, and as much as you would have been disappointed um, in not having got the title over the line, I think you'd have been massively encouraged with the season they had to know that if they just build on it and just keep, you know, improving it, just tinkering with it, make small improvements that you'd really start to feel confident that you've got a long run of success possibly coming as a supporter of that club. Um, And as you say, that form and that record of two defeats over that many games just shows you how good a team that, you know, Klopp has built there at the moment. And as, as horrible as it is to say from the outside looking in, I would love to be a Liverpool supporter right now. And, and it's even worse for us, isn't it, Dan? Because in all honesty, if Spurs had done things the right way, that, that probably should have been us in you know being as far advanced as what Liverpool are now um but they're a brilliant side um and I think if you're if you're a Liverpool supporter right now you should be confident that you will see not just one but possibly numerous trophies for the next couple of seasons if they can keep that side together I mean it's almost scary as a Spurs fan that you think you've got a good football club but we're nowhere near where we where we need to be in terms of winning things in terms of you know Premier League I know we've got the Champions League final but 
like you say, Cole, with the right transfer strategy and putting the blocks in the right places at the right time, it should really be us. Because for a few years, we were better than Liverpool in the league and we seem to have now missed that last step, haven't we? Um, Drew, is this a point to be made that Liverpool keep picking their best team as much as they can? This cohesion is leading to such great results. They're not chopping and changing you know, for no real reason whatsoever. Ultimately, that does happen due to sort of fitness and enforced changes. But you get the feeling that Liverpool's first eleven is one that is solid, knows what they're doing each week and is reaping the rewards at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it. And, and you know, they've had pretty much the same eleven for two seasons now. And you could go back a little bit farther as well for, for a lot of them. But beyond that, I just think they're an extremely talented side. You know, if you look at Salah and Mane, you could argue they're two of the best, you know, maybe not wingers, but wide forwards in the world. Roberto Firmino cannot be replaced and is simply, you know, one of the best at his style of playing that kind of nine and a half role. Fabinho has been amazing as a defensive midfielder the past, you know, 12 months, plus or minus, whatever it's been. Um, And then, of course, along the back, best defender in the world, best keeper in the world, two amazing uh, fullbacks. I mean, mean, you're right. They're not chopping and changing that much. But I think more, it's just they have an amazing squad. Yeah, I think that's part of the point as well. Actually, quite a large part of the point to uh, why they're so good at the moment. I think that sort of sums up the show for this week. Admittedly, there were seven matches we didn't cover, but VAR has taken up so much time. Apologies, you can read the score on many other websites, so I don't think you're going to miss out too much. Um, but yeah, that's where, that's where we are for this week. So uh, apologies if you support Manchester United, Arsenal, Aston Villa, etc. It's quite a long list, but hopefully normal service will be resumed next week. But then again, VAR could bugger us once more. So I just need to uh, do a bit of admin. If you enjoyed the show and you're listening on iTunes, please leave a review, five stars and all that. Don't leave less than five stars because it buggers up my perfect rating. I'd rather you not bother. So if you do really, really like it or you've got the time, give me a five-star rating. Of course, any sort of Twitter comments, questions, etc., etc., you can give them to me on at StanTrace1993 and at RealFootballPods. More importantly, I need to thank my two guests. Drew, an absolute pleasure. I hope you'll join me for the next instalment. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on again, Dan. I appreciate it. Um, and like you were mentioning, for anyone who's who's going to give you a five-star rating and review, number one, I encourage it. Number two, do it for my show as well, On the Counter with uh, Drew Pels. You can find it iTunes and, and all the other great places. Uh, but leave, leave a, a great review here for The Real Football Cast and then leave one for me as well. There you go. Two for the price of one. Good work, Drew. I'll speak to you soon. And Carl, of course, I hope you'll be joining us for the next episode. And thanks again for your time today. No worries, Dan. Been a pleasure. I um, mean, if anyone wants to leave a review on my LinkedIn page, I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd take that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm happy to plug anything you want, Carl. So if that's, if that's what you want to do this week, if you, want to, if you want to give Carl a job or some recommendations, then please do that as well. So with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.